We are looking this morning at the Gospel of John. We are back in our sermon series in John's Gospel. And we are picking up where we left off last Lord's Day, John chapter 15. If you have your copy of Scripture and you're going to find it helpful to be reading along with me. We're looking at John chapter 15, verse 18, through to chapter 16, verse 4. We are in the Upper Room Discourse, right in the middle of the Upper Room Discourse. And as I have noted the last three Lord's Days, Jesus is going to be hanging on the cross in about 18 hours. And so what he is telling the eleven now that Judas has departed, departed are some of the greatest words that the Lord has ever spoken, some of the greatest truths that have ever been uttered. I like to remind you that there are greater portions of Scripture than others. It's all God's Word. These are weightier truths. Then you shall not boil a mother's goat in milk. These are weightier truths than other portions of Scripture. And we're looking this morning at John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18, reading down to chapter 16, verse 4. Now Jesus, uh, moving on from telling the disciples to love one another, to abide in him, to abide in his word, to abide in his love, now says to them, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whatever, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them, the, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, in his book, the people who know their God, the people who know their God, J.I. Packer, opens by recounting the following interaction he had with a friend as they walked outside one day. His friend had just lost a Uh, a promotion at an academic institution because of his biblical convictions and his teaching about the truth of Christ. And Packer wrote this. He said, I walked in the sunshine with a scholar who had effectively forfeited his prospects of academic advancement by clashing with church dignitaries over the gospel of grace. But it doesn't matter, his friend said, for I know God. 
and they haven't. It doesn't matter because I know God and they haven't. Very powerful sentiment. Packer would go on to reflect that he, he, he remembered that above all the other things that his friend said. What was, what was the right response to the world hating a believer, a scholar, a top-level scholar? What was the right response to that? was for that man to say, I have come to know God and they haven't. There was a sadness in that man as he thought about the world's opposition to the gospel and a reflection that he was the beneficiary of God's grace, that he had come to know God. Now Jesus is, is recounting to his disciples uh, that the world is going to hate them. He's preparing them. He's shaping them. He is, remember, he is their defense counselor. And, and he is going to the Father. He is going out of the world. They're not going to have their, their master and their teacher, their savior with them bodily. And, and he has said to them, but don't, don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me, and I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you another defense counselor. The Spirit's going to come. He's going to dwell in you. You're going to dwell in Him. Abide in me. Abide in my love. And, and he has already begun shaping his disciples by telling them that one thing that they need to have pressed into their minds and hearts when he is not present with them is that they would love one another as he has loved them. Remember, Jesus has told them by this, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. It's going to be an evangelistic witness to the world, the love that I have loved you with in you, dwelling in you, and you loving one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. The, the, the first part of the discourse in the upper room is all about the love of Christ. And, and believers calling to enter into that love with one another. Now Jesus is going to shift gears and he's going to mold and shape their minds and prepare them for, for what's coming when he is gone by saying, and by the way, you're going to love one another, but the world is going to hate you. Be prepared. Don't be naive. Don't think that you can coddle up with the world. No matter how smart or sophisticated, how kind, how comedic you may be, the world is going to hate you. Um, before we look at this, I'll just tell you a story. I had been reading this section of Scripture 15, 17 years ago, I was working at a restaurant in Greenville, South Carolina, and I often was trying to witness to my coworkers. And on one occasion, a new guy had come in, and I liked him, and I think he kind of liked me, even though he hated me because I was a Christian. And at one point, I was sharing the gospel with him, and I said, you know, most people hate this. And he said, yeah, I hate this. And I said, well, most people hate those that... Tell them about this. And he said, yeah, I get that. Basically said, I hate you. And I said, but here's the interesting thing. I said, your hatred for me right now just proves the truthfulness of what I'm telling you. Because Jesus said, don't be surprised. The world is going to hate you. Because it hated me. And it hated me without a cause. And notice that, I just want to point out verse 1 of chapter 16 here. Jesus is saying all of this to keep you from falling away. Isn't that interesting? The world and the believer, we have to know these things so that we don't fall away because many buckle under the pressure 
of caving into the world and wanting the acceptance of the world. Now, I want us to consider this morning just two things. First, the Christian, the son in the world. And then secondly, the Christian, the spirit in the world. The Christian, the son in the world. And the Christian, the spirit in the world. Well, notice that Jesus has shifted gears. And now he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Um, John Calvin has helpfully put it this way. The gospel cannot be published without instantly driving the world to rage. The gospel cannot be published, cannot be made known without instantly driving the world to rage. If you want to ruin a party, just start talking about Jesus. You will instantly drive people to rage. Talk about the kindness of Christ, the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. Because the world hates Jesus. The world may feign an admiration to the Son of God, but in the depths of every man's heart, it hates Jesus. I remember at the heart of my depravity, I was hanging out with friends, unregenerate, lost, in, in complete darkness, and we were at a diner. And I kept taking Jesus' name in vain as a cursing to the point where my worldly friends said, dude, you need to cool it. You see, in my heart at that time, I hated the Savior. I didn't know that I hated the Savior. And yet Jesus says, listen, if you, he says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Know that it hated me before it hated you. Notice he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus says a couple things here. He says, number one, the world is going to hate you because you're united to me. The world hates me and the world is going to see something of me in you, even when you're kind. Um, Listen to this. J.C. Ryle, Bishop Ryle says this. Persecution is the cup of which Christ drank. Faultless as he was in everything, in temper, word, and deed, unwearied as he was in works of kindness, always going about doing good. Never was anyone so hated as Jesus was to the last day of his earthly ministry. Think about this. Kindness, mercy, healing the sick, the infirmed, always going about doing good rescuing lost sinners, having mercy, always doing good, always a perfect temper and tone, never a harsh, sinful word. Even his rebukes done out of love. Never was there a man so perfect as Jesus and never was there someone that the world hated so much. Ryle says Jesus was hated to the last day of his earthly ministry, scribes, high priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, Jews, Gentiles, all united in pouring contempt on him, opposing him, and never rested till he was put to death. And Jesus is saying, because that happened to me, don't be surprised when the world treats you that way because they see me in you. You see, there are many Christians today that you get the sense they, they like to rub the cat the wrong way. They just, they like, they think that's faithful Christian living. Just rubbing the cat the wrong way. Don't rub the cat the wrong way. <laughs> but there are also many Christians that like to coddle. And, and they want to play fast and loose with the world. And they want to compromise. And, and Jesus is telling his disciples, look, when you are loving one another, 
when you are gentle and tender, when you abide in my love, my joy, my peace, when you have the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life, the world is going to hate you. Number one, because it hated me. Number two, because you're not of the world. Now, what does Jesus mean you're not of the world? I mean, we look around, we look just like everybody else. We don't look any different than people we live next to, we work with. Um, In fact, they may be nicer than you. There are many unbelievers that are nicer than Christians. My mom used to say, hell is full of nice people. Niceness will not get you to heaven. Plenty of nice people. And yet, Jesus says, you are not like them. You are not of the world. Now, what does he mean by the world? Well, by the world, he means that system that is antithetical to everything about the truth of God. It's the world lying under the sway of the evil one. It's the world system. It is everything that is influenced by Satan. It is all the lies. It is all the false teaching. It is all the wicked living. It is all the selfishness and the pride. It is everything that is contrary to the truth of God and that removes the truth of God from it as much as it can. And Jesus says, you're not of the world because I chose you out of the world. Why is the world going to hate you? Because I chose you out of the world. The world is going to see something about Christians and they're, they're going to say, you know, I don't know what it is, but they're different than we are. Some people don't like us and them. I'm here to tell you there's an us and them, and it's not because we're inherently better. It's because Jesus chose his people out of the world. Notice he says, therefore the world hates you. Hates you because it hated me. It hates you because you're not of it, because I took you out of it. And yet he's going to go on and say, I'm leaving you in it. Isn't that interesting? He's not calling for some kind of isolation. Eric Alexander, this is beautiful. Listen to this, and we'll come to this in a moment in more detail. He says, The believer's relationship to the world is not to be one of retaliation to its hostility, nor of isolation from its enmity, nor even compromise with the world, but of testimony within it. Hostility is an opportunity for believers to bear witness to Jesus. He's going to come to that in the latter verses in this chapter, in the early verses of chapter 16. He's going to say, listen, there, you could fall into several errors. You could, you could um, uh, retaliate against the hostility of the world. That's rubbing the cat the wrong way. I'm going to retaliate, show them what's up. You could isolate from its enmity and just say, well, I'm not going near anybody. That's what fundamentalists do. We're not doing that. You could compromise and coddle the world and play fast and loose with the things of the world. Or you could look at the world's hatred as an opportunity to be faithful as a witness to Christ. That's where all of this is moving like a stream. Notice, notice verse 16. Jesus says, 16, chapter 16, verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. That's one big reason he's saying this. And then notice, he says, I'm going to send the Spirit, the Helper, verse 26 of chapter 15, and he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. So the world is going to hate you, but Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you in the world because I have work for you to do, to be representatives of me in the world, even as the world hates you. So that, that means, When we bear faithful testimony to who Christ is in our lives, in our speech, and the world hates us, instead of us cowering back and 
retreating, we should see that as an opportunity to bear faithful witness to Jesus. That's what Jesus is equipping us with. We don't want to be belligerent, but we don't want to coddle or isolate. Um, It's very interesting. Back in chapter 13, at the beginning of the upper room, when Jesus is there washing the disciples' feet, Right after that, remember, he says, if I, your Lord and master, have done this to you, you also ought to do to one another. And he says there at the beginning of the upper room, he says, a servant is not greater than his master. Now, he tells them that because he wants to instill in them a sense of their need for humility in chapter 13. A servant is not greater than his master. I want you to take the lowest place like I am. Now here, Jesus says again, remember the words that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Look at verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Here, Jesus is saying that not to inculcate in the disciples' minds and heart a a, a sense of their need for humility. He's saying it so that they would understand what to do with hostility. You see, Jesus is bringing his example to bear in their life, both for humility, but also for how they deal with hostility. Um, I want to just encourage you this morning. um, I want to encourage you to get rid of any sense that you could be the cool Christian that the world likes or the nice Christian or the smart Christian. We can... We can do this a dozen different ways. We may be smarter than other people. We may be better looking than other people. You know, Christians fall into this all the time. Remember remember Kanye again? He came out, he was a Christian, broke the internet. Not even sure where Kanye is right now. Christians want celebrity. They want acceptance. We want to be revered. We want to be seen as something. We don't want to be despised. And Jesus says the world is going to hate you. Don't let that unsettle your faith. Um, Come to terms with that now so that when it happens, you're not shaken by it. Remember, that's what Jesus is saying, that you do not fall away. I, I don't know if we could measure quantitatively why so many professing believers fall away. It's often sexual sin. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. Sexual sin is a big one for why they walk away from their profession. But, um, but here I get the sense that Jesus is saying underlying a lot of falling away is men and women buckling under the weight of the world's hatred for them. I say this to you so that you will not fall away. Don't be deceived as to the world's view and estimation of us as Christians. Now, secondly, I want us to consider the Christian, the spirit in the world. As I noted Jesus is leaving the disciples in the world because he wants them to bear witness to him. Um, At the end of the day, he chose you. If he chose you, he chose you out of the world and redeemed you by his blood so that you would continue to bear witness to him and to his father. You know, I remember as a young Christian, because I was so caught up with having been converted and how awesome it was. And why doesn't Jesus just redeem somebody and take them straight to heaven. It's way too easy, y'all. Way too easy. Converted, take you to heaven. The Lord wants you to bear his image in the world 
this dark and fallen world that hates us. He says earlier, he says, look, the world hates me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. But he says they, they have not known me nor my father. What is the problem with this world? Why does the world hate Christians? Because they do not know God. Remember Packer's friend. I didn't get the promotion because of testimony to the grace of God in the gospel. And his response is, but I have known God and sadly they haven't. That's how we're to view the world. There should be a mercy and a pity in how we look at unbelievers. You know, I've fallen into the trap, and I'm sure you have over the years, of looking at the world and its wickedness and almost looking disdainingly as we're up on this high perch looking down at all these wicked people out here. Remember, we are among those wicked people by nature. You are by nature. We don't get to sit on a high perch and look down demeaningly at people that sin in different ways than you and I sin. Because at the end of the day, they don't know the Lord. And they need to know the Lord. You know, my dad used to pray when I was a boy. And even as an adult, I remember him praying that the Lord would save Taliban leaders, Al-Qaeda leaders. Why wouldn't we pray that? The Apostle Paul was essentially a terrorist before he was converted. He was dragging Christians off and throwing them in jail. And, and the Lord had mercy on him and used him in ways that will never be used. We should have a heart of compassion. Notice Jesus says in verse 26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Here, uh, the Lord Jesus is saying, essentially, and I love this quote by Eric Alexander, the Holy Spirit is the primary evangelist. The Holy Spirit is the primary evangelist. He is going to come. He is going to bear witness about me. And yet, notice, he says, because he's in you, he will bear witness about me. And then notice verse 27, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, remember, Jesus is saying this to the men who are going to turn the world upside down by preaching the gospel. They're going to go to nations that have never heard about Christ. They're going to lay down their lives, many of them, for the sake of the gospel. And the world is turned. You're sitting here today hearing this. Because these men, who Jesus equipped in that room, went out and boldly made known the gospel in the midst of a hostile world. That's awesome. Everything Jesus is telling them, we see come to light in the book of Acts, throughout the rest of the New Testament. And the Lord Jesus is not only telling them, he's telling us, I've left you in the world, I've given you another defense counselor. He's going to keep you. He's going to protect your faith. He's going to enable you to continue believing in the midst of the world's hatred. And he's going to make you a witness to me everywhere you go. One more quote for you this morning. John Calvin says, when the world rages on all sides, our only protection is that the truth of God sealed by the Holy Spirit on our hearts, despises and defies all that's in the world, if it were subject to the opinions of men, our faith would be overwhelmed a hundred times a day. 
If it depended on the opinions of men, our faith would be overwhelmed a hundred times a day, and yet it doesn't. Jesus says, I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to live in you. He's going to be your defense attorney. And then he's going to be witness to me. And you're going to be witness to me. I'm going to use you. I'm going to make you fruitful. And people in that world that hate hate me and hate you because they hate me are going to come to know me. Isn't that marvelous? Jesus takes the fallen world. He redeems a people out of it. He sends them back in it. He says, the hostility I had, you're going to get. Don't be deceived. He was mocked, beaten, spit upon, scourged, crown of thorns, made to carry his cross, nailed to a tree. He said, that's the world's hatred for me, and that's going to be its hatred for you. And yet, it's on that tree that he redeems the people out of love from a hateful world. And he says, now I'm going to come by my spirit and dwell in you, you're going to be witness to me in the midst of that world and more people are going to come to know me and my father because of the witness of the spirit witnessing in you and through you. It's pretty amazing. It's amazing that God in his wisdom would so order things that this is how it's going to work. Um... You might even suffer persecution within the church. They're going to put you out of synagogues. A persecution might come from within the walls of so-called churches and at the hands of so-called religious leaders in Christendom. The whole history of the Reformation bears that out. Sixty million Protestants murdered by the Roman Catholic Church. Don't be deceived. Jesus says even the synagogue are going to put you out. What happened to the apostles? They got kicked out of the places of the worship of God because of the truth of Jesus. He says, look, be prepared for that. The world may tell you otherwise. Christians may tell you otherwise. But Jesus says, get ready. Even within synagogues. Indeed, notice this. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Um. I just want to encourage you this morning with these words. These, these are hard truths, and yet they're truths that if we don't have fixed squarely in our minds and hearts, we're going to be caught off guard when, when we feel the sting of the hatred of the world. We need, to, we need to gird our minds and hearts with these truths so that as we go out and we seek to be faithful, and then we get the hatred and we get the opposition, we're not shaken because we expect it. Um, Don't think, I'll say this again, don't think that you'll ever be smart enough, accomplished enough, wealthy enough, funny enough, or cool enough to evade the world's hatred. You will never be sophisticated enough to gain the world's approval. And yet, the Lord Jesus wants you in the world, rubbing shoulders with unbelievers on a daily basis, seeking to be a faithful witness to him in your lives, your work, your actions, your words. This is not all just verbal evangelism. This is the whole of the Christian's life, bearing witness to who the Lord Jesus is. I hope that you'll be encouraged as we reflect on these difficult truths that you will gird your mind and your heart with them, that you will take great comfort in the fact that 
the Lord Jesus suffered the world's greatest hostility in order to save us. And, and he tells us the world now is going to hate us, even as it hated him, but that you will be fruitful in the midst of that opposition. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do praise you for these words that you did not leave us to our own understanding about our relationship to the world. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have told us these things so that when it comes to pass, we would know. We do pray that you would have mercy on us, that you would remove from us a desire to be accepted by the world. We all know what the fear of man is like, and yet, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would use us, that you would be at work in us by your Spirit, that he would be bearing witness in us and through us to who you are. We pray that for each man and woman and boy and girl in this place. Would you make us more like you so that we might be more faithful witnesses to you? Would you guard our hearts and minds so that no one in this place would fall away because of the opposition and persecution of the world? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And